morning, church family. So good to have you here with us, and good to have Tom Ray awake, because Angela woke him up just before the service, and I just appreciate that as she gave the announcement, so welcome. Um, if you are new with us, we've been talking about your role in the family, whatever that might look like. We've got all kinds of different styles and forms of family. I don't even know what a traditional family is anymore. There's all kinds of different ways the family might express itself, but today... Again, we're talking about your role and God's calling in your life and how that can be healthy and transformative. Uh, When Sue and I first got the blessing of our first son, Josh, we were inundated with all kinds of suggestions, how to be the perfect parents. And by the way, there is no perfect parent I've I've come to discover, at least not in my house, at least not me. And... uh, But we got all these suggestions, you know, people giving us suggestions and books and articles. I don't know if for some of you who are parents, you might have experienced the same thing. We have this whole stack of them and you're trying to figure out, okay, which one really has anything really to say to me and who's got the wisdom and who doesn't. And we were filtering through this and um, somebody gave us a book that was entitled something like Raising Child, Your Child God's Way, something like that. And I thought, okay, that's a little presumptuous. Like there's only one way, right? So in my little brain, I, I, I can be a skeptic sometimes and think, really? Okay, is that like there's only one way to do this God's way? And by the way, there isn't. There are a lot of different paths in parenting. But there are some sure principles, right? And soon I knew enough about scripture to say, well, there, we know that there's some things that, that really if we're true to and we have allegiance to, they're going to be healthy for our family and really important for our family. And of all the stuff said in this book, the things that really stuck with me actually that were helpful was this, that if I gave my greatest allegiance to the health of my relationship with God and the health of my relationship to my wife, then other things would come in line. It would be really healthy and good for me, right? And important for me. Those are the two things. And, and as a dad, if I could... Love God well and love Sue well, it would make a huge difference for my family. And I know many of you have thought about that and have found, some of you have found that to be true. Some of you are still fishing, trying to figure out what does it look like to be healthy. But I'm here to tell you God's word does have some really important, forceful things to say to our families to help them thrive. Of course, if it was that simple, if it was just simple, love God, love your wife, that's That's complex, right? That would be one thing. But we have this thing about us. The Bible calls it sin. And it means that every one of us is messed up. Whether you're a single person, regardless of the stage of your singleness that God has called you to or that you're presently in, or you're a married person, you're messed up. Even the people that you came to church and are looking at them and you're like, man, they are like the Lynn. They're the perfect family. They've got this perfect marriage and they've got this perfect kids that are always perfect. Not so much, huh, Chris? Right, not so much. That, that all of us experienced the brokenness, the messed up nature that, that we have within us, deep within us, and that our families express and the great thing I want you to hear is that, that we are all called to play a vital role in the family system that God has us in, beyond what we can pull off on our own. That all of us are messed up, and all of us need a sure, reliable foundation to our life, but God is not done with us yet. Isn't that good news? 
regardless of what your past looks like, today and this week, God wants to do something inside of you that would bring health and wholeness to your life and the life of your family, regardless of what it looks like. And that's God's great refreshing news to us, that he loves to rebuild and to restore and to bring health into us. And we're called by God to do that, to be a part of that process. Most guys that I know, and many women, actually, in fact, my wife is one of those women, are created with a gene to fix it. They have the fix-it gene in them, right? Now, in our context here, Matt Bolar is the fix-it man around church, and, and he's got that gene inside of him, right, that it works. And many of you play that role at work and at home. You've got the fix-it gene, which causes us to do some crazy things at times. I've got some slides just for us to kind of take a look at what happens to the fix-it gene when it goes south. This is not a recommended thing. That's my favorite. <laughs> 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 that's going to hurt. Yeah, so we've got this fix-it gene in us that often goes south. And here's the news from God's word to you today. You can't do it. You can't fix what's messed up on your own. It's broken beyond your capacity to repair. Only God at work inside of you and inside of the life of your family can bring health and wholeness. Um, there's a neighborhood fairly close to where we live. And all the homes are really nice. They look nice on the outside. And it's a nice neighborhood in itself. Its location's nice. The problem is their home value is not as nice as other neighborhoods. And there's a reason why. For whatever reason, many years ago when the homes were built, the builder cut some corners on the foundation. And all the foundations in this neighborhood are cracked. And that has caused all kinds of damage to the structure of their homes. If you have a cracked foundation, no good, right? Because things shift, and then the whole building comes out of square. And you've got all kinds of issues, and it only gets worse if your foundation is bad. Here's the news. Our foundation matters. The foundation of our lives matters more, way more, than the foundation of our physical house. What's going on inside us and where we place our foundation. And great personal foundations are essential to healthy families and to healthy people. They're essential. And Paul makes this point in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2. And by the way, if you have your Bible, we're going to put up a bunch of verses this morning, but feel free to use your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give one to you right afterwards. Paul makes this point in Ephesians chapter 2. You are members of the household of God. Built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. That's the most important part of the foundation. The cornerstone is Christ, in whom the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. That God is building inside something inside of you that he has aspirations for. For you to be beautiful and for you to be a structure that houses him. And it's got to be a structure with a great foundation, a foundation in Christ, in whom you are also, also are built into it for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Paul's central point is that Jesus Christ is the most central and significant and important part of our foundation. 
And that point, that's made all kinds of places in Scripture. Throughout Scripture, that place, that point is made. And it's worth us really seriously considering this morning. The central part of our life is meant to have this great foundation, an unshakable foundation, a faithful foundation. And the point Scripture makes is that you need to make your foundation, the corner of it, where it places alignment and where it gets square in Christ Jesus. And if it's true... There's a couple questions. There are all kinds of questions that's a spark inside of us. But there are a couple that I want to focus in on this morning. The first is this. Is that really right? Do do you really buy into that? I don't want just a church answer, right? Because people expect you to say this. But is it really true that God is reliable and he's worth being the cornerstone of our lives as opposed to other things? Because the truth is many people... Many of us don't really actively seek to make God the square, the the cornerstone of who we are and the structures of our lives. We allow other things to get there, to be placed there, and then life gets squirrely, doesn't it? So is that right? Is having Jesus Christ the most significant part of our foundation essential? And if it is, if we get to that conclusion, that place, then the question is, How does Jesus become and remain the foundation, the cornerstone of our lives? When engineers seek to determine whether something is reliable, a foundation is true, um, they don't just guess, do they? How many engineers do we have in the crowd? We've got a few engineers in the crowd. If you're a family member of an engineer or a friend of an engineer, you would automatically say, no way. I know engineers and how they're wired, right? They need to have all the squares checked off. They need, they need to have everything and know everything about it as, as much as possible. And when an engineer seeks to determine the true part of the foundation, whether it's healthy, they go through a battery of tests, right? They, they look at soil composition and the materials and the foundation that are used and the, the, the stress factors. And they have all this whole long list. And now they've got... Uh, technological help, all kinds of computer models, that, and they'll, they'll seek to study completely whether it is reliable, this foundation is reliable. In the same way, the Bible doesn't just tell you that Jesus Christ should be the cornerstone of your life, and so just bank on that and go. It gives you evidence of the reliability of a foundation that's unlike any other foundation. It seeks to help you gain great confidence in what should be the cornerstone of your life. And throughout the Bible, a story is told, there's hundreds of verses on this, of God's steadfast love and faithfulness to you. And that that should be the thing that grounds you, that helps you know that you can be confident in the reliability of Jesus Christ being the cornerstone of your life. And this morning, I just want to race you through a brief history in the Bible from Scripture of the faithfulness of God, God's faithfulness. And the first picture I want to take is in the life of Jacob. Now, some of you know Jacob's history. Some of you don't, so I'll just fill in a few of the gaps. You can look for the story itself in Genesis 30 on. And in Jacob's life, Jacob was known as a what? As a deceiver, because he had a hard time telling the truth to himself and to other people. His whole life, he was trying to fake people out. And he actually bore the consequences of his untruthfulness. When you look at politicians today and say, oh, I'm not sure if I rely on that, 
That's like history. That's the history of mankind, right? We're all good at deceiving. And Jacob was one of those guys who had this long history of it. And in the middle of his unfaithfulness, he could look back and still see the faithfulness of God. That's the great story of Jacob. Although Jacob was a weasel, God loved him. God faithfully loved this guy, even though he was not very lovable at times and, and was a deceiver. And, and Jacob gets to a place where now he's got a large family and he's leaving his father-in-law, who was himself a deceiver, and he's traveling to a new place. He's going to make a home. And, he, and then he discovers that his brother Esau is going to meet him. And Esau's got a big army. And he's got history with Esau. And it's not good. His history with Esau is bad. He had been a liar to his brother and deceived him out of his birthright. And it's a bad history he's got with Jacob. And so what Jacob does is he prays. Right? When you get in trouble... It's what a lot of people do, and that's what Jacob did. But Jacob came to a moment in his life in this prayer that's really significant, I believe. It was a real turning point for him. And he makes this statement in Genesis 32.10. I am not worthy of the least of all the steadfast love and all the faithfulness which thou hast shown thy servant. I'm not worthy of it. And yet, here you are. And I'm going to rely, I'm going to bank on this, God. Will you be faithful to me one more time? And the story as it weaves itself out is God was faithful. Right? And did something incredibly surprising with Esau's reaction and what happens in the future because God was faithful. It was his nature. Fast forward to Moses' life. Moses had led the people across the Red Sea out of Egypt. And they get to Mount Sinai. You know what happens at Mount Sinai? Many of you, right? Ten Commandments. So Moses goes up, gets the Ten Commandments on the tablets, comes down to the people, and they just love it. They cheer him. They think it's great. They welcome him. No, that's not what happens. He comes down from the mountain, and the people have got this great idea. While they see the majesty, the thunder of God, the splendor of what's happening up in the mountain, the people get the good idea. Let's all donate our watches, not watches, but earrings and all all, all the stuff that we've got, and let's make this big cow to worship because that's bigger and better than God. (laughs) Stupid, right? And so Moses comes down, and being the calm, collected kind of guy he was, he throws those tablets down on the ground, shatters them. He's ticked off, right, that people could do this so quickly. And then he's got to go back up for round two. He's got to get the, right, he's got to get the new tablets. So he goes back up to Mount Sinai and gets them. And in that context, God meets him, and he reminds him. It's this incredible story. He reminds him of this. This is found in Exodus 34. God's word about himself to Moses. So Moses would know and be reminded again. The Lord, it says in Exodus 34, passed before him and proclaimed, Moses, I'm going to tell you of who I am and my nature. The Lord, that is the word Yahweh, the covenant name of God, the I am name. The Lord passed before him. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. This is the story of all the Bible. Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's who I am. I'm going to be faithful to the unfaithful. That's who I will always be. Fast forward a little bit. So Moses comes down with the law, has a conversation with the people, and they make a covenant, an agreement before God. 
that's holy and sacred, God drawing them into relationship with himself. And we find these words in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 9, where God says to these people, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Were they holy people? Well, not without the holiness of God as a gift in their life. They were unholy. And this is God's same story to you, to me. You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession. Out of all the peoples that are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love upon you and chose you. It's not because you were greater. It was not because you were more intelligent or stronger, more attractive. That's not why. That's not why God chose them. For you were the fewest or the least of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath which he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage in the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commands to a thousand generations. This is the faithful God. I am faithful and true. Many of you know David's life, filled with all kinds of unfaithfulness, right? His relationships were often shipwrecked. He made a lot of poor choices in his life. And he looks back on his life, and as he writes things that last, he writes some psalms, and in those psalms you hear this theme repeated. Psalm 86.15 But thou, O Lord, art a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It's a repeated story, isn't it? Psalm 91. Think about the imagery. This is really great imagery. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions. And under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. That is a refuge. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day. Psalm 117.2. For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Would you turn to somebody right now, someone that's maybe struggling because they've had food in their system and they're struggling to stay awake, and just let them know, God is faithful. Would you tell them? Isaiah the prophet is writing centuries after David. And he's writing about the Messiah who is going to come. He's giving a prophecy. And he's describing what Jesus was going to look like. In chapter 16 he says, Then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness. That's his name. That's his character who's going to sit on this throne. In the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. Again in Isaiah, reiterating God's character Chapter 25, verse 1. O Lord, thou art my God, I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name. For thou hast done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. That's who you are. Now, if you know anything about Isaiah's life and all the challenges that went into that life, he looks back and sees the character of God and says, God, you're faithful. That's what I so love. 
And the author of Lamentations, another man who has gone through all kinds of challenges, we think it's probably Jeremiah. In chapter 3 of Lamentations 22 to 23, it says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, that they are new every morning. Great is thy, you knew it, right? Great is thy faithfulness. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. I give thanks to God always for you because of the grace of God, which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him with all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony to Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful. God's faithful by whom you were called in the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You were called in a relationship. And what grounds that relationship for you is that God is faithful. His word is true. It always is the same. He's faithful. And in that context, Paul, who was mentoring Timothy, writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Paul is saying this is intrinsic to God's character. When we're faithless, God is faithful and always will be faithful. That's why he's so reliable and always has been throughout the centuries. And why today you can rely on God because it's part of his character. It's who he is. It's how he always treats us. He's faithful. The author of Hebrews, Hebrews 10.23, encourages us with these words. Let's hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Let's be faithful, he's saying. Because he promised is faithful. Because God's faithful, we should be faithful. And finally, in the last book of the Bible, that fantastic picture in Revelation 19 where Jesus comes, right? Here it is. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse who sat upon it is called Faithful. That's his name. And true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. The point made by the Bible is that God is faithful throughout history and real life experiences. For every person, God is treated the same way. It's his character. It's his nature. It's how we experience God. He is faithful. Did you get the message? Rivers can erode seemingly immovable mountains. And oceans can change continents. And black holes can alter galaxies. But God is unchanging in his faithfulness. How powerful is that? And that's the witness of history and God's word to you. But I can't answer the question. Is God right? Is he true? Is he really faithful? Is he a reliable foundation for you? Or do you have a better idea? You have to come to your own conclusion. But I want to strongly encourage you to build your life and the life of your, found, of your family on an unmovable foundation I can only say that I've come to the conclusion that the only foundation for my home and my family and my life has to be the faithfulness of God. And if you come to that conclusion, I think there's an answer to the second question. How does Jesus become and remain the foundation? It starts here. If you've never entered into a relationship that's living and life-giving with God, and you seek 
to place something that's true and right, a cornerstone in your life that's right, that to build the rest of your, your life and your family around on the faithfulness, the sure reliability of God. It starts here. First, you just acknowledge it. You admit it. I am not faithful, and he is. And I'm broken and messed up, and I need him. I need a relationship with God through Jesus. And second, you just need to say, God, I want to trust you. I'm no longer my own stuff, a person, or my things. I want to trust you. Place your confidence in what's reliable, not what's not reliable. And finally, just change. Confess it before God and change. Turn around and step into a relationship with God. Have an honest conversation with God. In a moment, I'm just going to be speaking to people in this room that have made that first step, who have come to faith in Christ, and now their homes, because they haven't been mindful and thoughtful about it, might be a little out of whack and out of alignment. But it has to start with that first step of relationship. And if you've never taken that step, just ignore what I say from now on for a bit and just have an honest conversation with God. Just get real with God. And seek a relationship and say, God, I want you to be the corner of my life. I want something that's reliable and truthful and always has been throughout the ages. And I need you and I can't do it by myself. Please forgive me. Come into my life. That's the first step. You need to have that conversation. And for those of you who have taken that step already, many of this room have. We took the step with the intention of building our lives upon the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And we started building well, but then things got out of square when other things became a higher priority than Jesus. Other things stepped into our lives, and we became bent, and the whole structure's bent right now. I'm not here to beat you up. I'm just saying this, that it happens. It's part of your past. Today, this moment, this coming week, the rest of your life, it can be different. You know why? Because Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2, if we're faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. He will always be faithful. If I seek him, and 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all that is out of alignment with God. For many years, I had the joy of working with a good friend of mine. His name is Dave. And Dave would take groups down to Mexico and help the poor. He was wired for it. He's great at construction. And we'd build homes, and we would come alongside, and we would try to build with him. We'd take groups of junior high and high school students, and it would be a great trip. And I can remember my first time down with Dave. I had a group of kids. He turns to me and says, Ron, you know much about construction? Of course, I'm a guy. What am I going to say? You can't like turn in your man card there. You go, oh yeah, I got this wired, right? So I said, oh yeah, yeah, I'm good. And so he gave me instructions and the tools to help out with this house. And it was great when we started, right? Like we were really doing really good work. We were trying to make sure everything was square. We're putting on a new roof. So we made sure that everything was square and great. And then when we sought to put on the roof on this house, we realized something. The house wasn't square, now that's a real problem. What do you do with this? Like the whole house was out of whack. And then I look around the neighborhood and everywhere around this neighborhood, it's out of whack. Like it's nothing square. What do you do with this? 
So we're trying to figure it out. We're just battling through this. And my friend Dave comes rolling back. He was helping out with several groups. He rolls back. He goes, hey, got, it, got this wire? And he's like, we're like, no, we're like, we have no idea what to do. And he looks, stands back and looks at this house, just smiles, because every house is like this. He goes, okay, here's what we need to do. We need to have like 20 kids on this side of the house just start shoving, right? And, it, and he was doing this radical realignment of this house that was tweaked. It's a great picture of what God wants to do with us. For those of us who have gotten out of alignment and out of whack because we haven't realized what our foundation consistently needs to go back to, something that's square and true and faithful. Jesus had observed this in the lives of a lot of people around him. He looked out on people and he saw how far out of whack it was that they were trying to put their alignment into their works, the stuff that really good stuff that they could do. They weren't as committed to a tight, close relationship with Jesus, but they wanted to do all this stuff that would look good on the outside, where inside it was out of whack. It was out of alignment and square. And Jesus gives a message to them. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Many of you are probably familiar with it, right? Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7 is recorded in. And at the end of that message, Jesus ends it with this really great story. Many of you... Maybe as little kids heard this repeated to you, it's a story that Jesus tells for us to get into us. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine, he's talking about the reliable words that he just gave, a faithful God giving reliable words in this message he'd just spoken. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock on something that was faithful and true and reliable. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on something faithful and true, the rock. It was not going to move. That was a house. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, like just blows it off. It's just another word. It's not that big. I've got a better plan than God has for me. Who does not do this will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it, it fell. It was a wreck. And great was the fall of it. Is Jesus reliable in what he's saying? Is he? If so, it would be a huge help for us. A huge help. For us and for our families to check the structure of our lives. Jesus gave a measuring stick for us. What alignment looks like. And it's found in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. You're going to read some of that hopefully this week. And you're going to get upset. Because there's some controversial things, provocative things. Jesus says this to rattle our cage. And it's good. It helps us understand how easily and quickly we can get out of alignment instead of being in line with the faithful God who is true, whose words are true to us. So I'm going to encourage you with this. If you are a follower of Jesus and your foundation is a bit tweaked, and you know it, or even if you think it's not tweaked, read this and check it out. Matthew 5 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give one to you right afterwards. Or you can stick it on your phone on an app, free apps. 
Read this one time every day this week. Matthew chapter 5 through 7. That Jesus said, this is reliable for you. These are, this is how you measure. And you know. And be challenged to take a step forward. Don't, don't read it and get beat up and then like, oh, I can never do this. He who is and started a good work in you will complete it. Right? That's his agenda for you, to keep building and building true and right in you. So start with the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you're familiar and you know these words, and maybe you've read them just a little while ago, I've got uh, the next step for you, the next bar. Memorize it. Memorize the Sermon on the Mount. I know that might seem a little crazy, so let me give you a little incentive. For any person here who memorizes the Sermon on the Mount, I'll take out to a nice dinner. Okay? I'm going to take you out. You just come to me. Jerry, I'm telling you. Right? Come to me, and I'll take you out to dinner if you've got it down. Mark, last time, I challenged the whole body to do this. This is Mark right over here, if you don't know him. And he had it. Word perfect. Memorized a whole book of the Bible. Had it down. And I, took, I took you out to lunch, or dinner, right? So if you, if you do this, it's not just about the dinner. <laughs> it's about alignment on something that's faithful and true. It's right for you and good for us. And it'll be so good, not just for you, but for the life of your family. Let me pray, if I might, with you, please. Father, um, some of us need to just take that first step. We don't even have a relationship with you. We've been trying to build our lives on other stuff. That's like building on the sand and it's just going to wash away. And I pray that you would just bring your spirit to move us and change us, convict us of the truth, help us to see your faithfulness and reliability and build on you as a sure foundation. Father, for those people who have been wrestling with us, I pray you give them courage that they would have honest conversation with you and give their life to you and experience new life right now, this day. And for those of us who just through inattention or struggle with disobedience have let our structures, the structures of our homes get out of alignment. I pray through your word and through your spirit, you would just tweak us, radically realign us so that we would be yours and building upon the rock. Christ's name, all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.